This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. 2020, what a year has it been? It has shown the most dominant species on this earth that we are not invincible. There's someone quite powerful, crazy and unpredictable that we all need to watch out for. It has made the word virus the most familiar and dreaded word. Viruses are a type of parasite. I'm Anusha Beer, an invertebrate biologist, and I have always been fascinated by these minuscule, at times microscopic creatures that are capable of performing some of the craziest phenomena in the universe. Not only can some evolve quicker than medical science can keep up with, as in the case of the novel coronavirus, they are capable of a lot more. Some of these phenomena are nothing less than science fiction. In this series, I have picked some of the unbelievable wonders from the world of hosts and parasites to share with my listeners, focusing mainly on the parasitic insects, who I'm calling wild hitchhikers, join me as we enter a world of mind-boggling manipulation and trickery. From worms to whales, none are immune to deceit by their tiny residents, the dangerous wild hitchhikers. Stay tuned to find out more about these wild hitchhikers. Before the break, I promised to take you on a surreal journey into the world of hosts and their parasites. So, fasten your seatbelt, close your eyes and visualise zipping down the highway in your car when you suddenly come across a shady looking guy giving you a thumbs up. Now he isn't approving your driving skills, he is asking you for a ride. Do you pick him up or not? Although you do not have enough time to make up your mind, you at least have a choice in the matter. A wild hitchhiker is something like this too, except he doesn't give you a choice. You accidentally pick him up and agree to drop him off to his next destination. But it isn't so simple. Now imagine that this hitchhiker asks for more than a ride. He wants you to get him some food and keep him with you for some time. This hitchhiker now becomes a bit of a parasite, living with you and getting his food from you too. Parasites come in various shapes and sizes. Some are enormous, twice the size of their hosts. Others, minuscule. Some have simple needs like food and shelter, while others have ulterior motives. We'll find out more about these motives and many unimaginable ways in which they fulfill them throughout this podcast. So let's dive deeper into this world of hosts and parasites. (music) 
One of the main characteristics of a parasite is that it must harm its hosts in some ways. Not necessarily killing them or making them terminally ill, but even by making them weaker compared to their counterparts. While different names are given to really nasty parasitic creatures, such as parasitoids, they usually make their hosts, well, kick the bucket. Or pathogens that are microscopic, superbugs. In this podcast, I'm bringing them together under one roof, calling them wild hitchhikers, or interchangeably parasites. The natural world is swamped with these hitchhikers. Isn't that scary? While it's not exactly clear how many parasitic species there are in total, some believe that up to 40% of all species could be parasitic. That's a lot. What is clear though, that parasitic lifestyle is adopted by creatures in over 15 phyla and four of the seven kingdoms of life. These include kingdoms plantae, animalia, protozoa and fungi. In the animal kingdom, the major recognized parasite groups are the helminths, like round and flat worms, and arthropods, like ticks. While you probably have a good idea by now what parasites are, you might still be wondering, what do they look like? Parasites can be any natural plant or animal, from tiny worms to big fish, from algae found in murky water to birds in the sky. If you're wondering who these parasites are hitchhiking on, Well, on everyone, from whales to worms, all can become a host to these wild hitchhikers. But it gets a little complicated here. Remember how I told you that birds and worms are parasites? Well, they can be hosts too. Usually, if the host is a bird, the parasite will be another creature like a tiny or giant worm. But in some cases, birds can be parasites of other birds too. In this case, a species of bird will exploit another species of bird, usually for raising her children. They are called brood parasites and are a little bit like the lazy maisy bird from Dr. Seuss's book, Horton hatches the egg. Except, unlike in Seuss's story, when the egg hatches, it usually isn't an elephant bird, and the story doesn't usually end on a happy note, unfortunately. Replace the lazy Maisy with an European cuckoo. Just as lazy and just as deceitful. The European cuckoo sneakily lays its eggs in the nest of a bird much smaller than itself, a starling. Have you seen a cuckoo and a starling? 
The size difference is massive. The starling is almost half the size of the cuckoo. Now, innocent starling gets tricked into sitting on cuckoo's eggs, assuming they are her own. This is because the cuckoo's egg mimics the colour, size and shape of a starling's egg, resembling it in every way possible. Poor starling sits on the foster eggs while until finally they hatch. Now the chicks are cuckoo's chicks, not starlings. But the starling doesn't know that and the chicks make sure they do everything possible to win in this game of treachery and deceit. What do they do? First of all, the chick throws all of the starling's eggs out of the nest. How mean is that? Then this master trickster mimics the hungry call that resembles that of a cuckoo's chick, tricking its foster mother into feeding him. Not only this, the chicks can mimic a call that resembles several starling chicks calling at once, tricking the foster mother to feed them again and again. If you see the size of the cuckoo's chicks compared to that of an adult starling, you'll know why. Enormous cuckoo chicks are raised by a foster mother almost half their size. If you would like to take a look just how monstrous the chick looks compared to the foster mother, jump onto my podcast page on the OARFM website or my blogspot page. You may wonder, isn't it obvious that the chick is not starlings? How does the starling get fooled so easily? Have starlings done nothing to avoid making a fool of themselves in this way? Well, before I answer this, let me tell you a little bit about a concept called the co-evolutionary arms race. Here the host and parasite species keep changing themselves in response to the selection pressure exerted by each other. So where the parasites are coming up with strategies to continue exploiting their hosts, the hosts are coming up with ways to avoid exploitation. In case of the cuckoo and starling, the starling's egg patterns are changing to distinguish it from the cuckoos. Cuckoos, on the other hand, are changing their eggs to match the changing starling's eggs. As their survival and propagation depends on this exploitative relationship. Not only this, scientists have found that the cuckoos that lay their eggs in starling nests that are more open mimic their eggs more closely. The reason is simple. In an open nest, the eggs are more visible and therefore need to be a perfect match for this planned trickery to work. Whereas in a closed nest, 
visibility is obscured and a close but not exact match will be enough. Some brood parasites are totally parasitic, while others turn to parasitism in desperation. For example, Greater Annie, a member of the cuckoo family from Panama, are cooperative breeders. They make nests cooperatively at the start of the breeding season and lay eggs. Breeding collectively provides better protection from predators than solo breeding. Some cuckoos in the colony turn to brute parasitism where they lay eggs in the nest of another bird from the same species. Could be a relative or a cousin. This is cheating, but there's no mimicry or manipulation involved as far as we know. And it is believed that usually only those that have had an unsuccessful breeding or have had their nests destroyed for some reason resort to this strategy. So parasitism and exploitation are desperate measures for these birds. We can call this brood parasitism because once eggs are deposited in a host's nests, no further parental care is provided by the parasite at all. There is some evidence that although brood parasitism in these birds helps the parasitic bird to get their offspring numbers up, those that are capable of successfully raising their own chicks are the true winners. Also, rejection of the parasite's eggs is quite high in these birds. Some parasites are also known to destroy their host's eggs after depositing their own. Now, using Cuckoo's example, we have looked at how by being an impersonator, an egg can trick a foster mother to sit on it and chicks can make her raise them. Now we'll see how chemical mimicry can help a more sinister brood parasite, a beautiful alkin blue butterfly, in exploiting its less attractive hosts, a hard-working colony of red ants called the Myrmica ants, flying in the European sky with its azure blue wings. The seemingly fragile alkin blue butterfly laser eggs on the flower heads of a plant called marsh gentians. The caterpillar feeds on the flower for a few weeks, but the flowers are not enough to sustain this very hungry caterpillar. He lures itself to the ground with the help of a silk thread. He remains on the ground until discovered by a red ant. He remains hungry and unfed until a naive ant is duped into adopting it. The caterpillars have developed an outer coat that has the same chemicals as that of the ant's larvae's coat, which tricks the ants into believing 
that the parasite is one of them. The devious caterpillar now not only deceives a whole army of hosts, it also sneakily devours their larvae. The caterpillar is a little bit bigger than the ants, which makes the ants give special care to this parasite caterpillar. In fact, the nurse ants prefer feeding and protecting their adopted caterpillars before the ants' own larvae. It is also believed that they secrete a chemical which elevates them to the highest hierarchical status, which might be why they get special treatment. Once again, we wonder, do the ants do nothing to avoid this exploitation? Once again, I'll remind you of the concept of co-evolutionary arms race, which I see as one-upping your enemy. It has been found that ants that are more regularly troubled by parasitic larvae have developed more diversity in the chemical composition of the outer coat of their larvae. Whereas ones that don't are less diverse. And about time. It is believed that these nasty parasites have wiped out one of the ant species and have moved on to another species of Mimica ants in the absence of its original hosts. But not all parasites are capable of so readily switching their host species. Some are locked to their host species and in its absence may perish themselves. This is not as good a news as you may expect. And I'll tell you why later on in this series. And discuss another strange natural phenomena that influences host-parasite relationship. But for now, this is it. In this episode, we saw some classic examples of brood parasitism using mimicry, morphological and chemical. Next, we'll explore more brood parasitism and more vicious forms of trickery and manipulation that will blow your mind. So remember to tune in next week. You've been listening to Wild Hitchhikers. You'll find podcasts of this series online at oar.org.nz. And if you would like to find out more about today's show or get in touch, check out the Wild Hitchhikers blogspot page at thegaiasgirl.blogspot.com. I hope to catch you next week with more weird and wonderful Wild Hitchhikers. Adios.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air.